If you would like to learn web development or just brush up on your coding skills, then go check out howtocodewell.net because this has all of my coding courses and we've covered things like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, PHP, Python, Linux, Docker, and more. I'm also the author of Docker in Motion from Manning Publications and Python Clean Coding as well as Python Microservices from Pact Publications. Before I do start today's show, I just want to say a massive thank you to all of the Patreon supporters who have allowed me to create this kind of content. Thank you ever so much, and if you would like to become a supporter of the channel, please go to patreon.com forward slash howtocodewell. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello, coders, and welcome to another How to Code Well podcast. Today's topic is going to be a mixed bag. We're going to be talking about database administration. We're going to be talking about ADL, agile delivery leads. We're going to be talking about remote working. And I am joined today by a very good friend of mine, Chris Ginn. Hi, Chris. How's it going? Have you had a good week? Hello, everyone. Um, Nice to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing... uh my findings with you and hoping to maybe take you down a track that you hadn't considered before. Yeah. So I, I didn't know what a, an agile delivery lead was um, until I met Chris. Uh, so we'll talk about that. But first up, let's talk about your, um, your career journey. Can you talk about how you became a DBA? Well, it's it's one of those journeys. I fell into it. I never expe- expected to be a DBA, just like I didn't expect to become an Agile Delivery Leader Scrum Master. So some years ago, I was working for an aerospace company in Gloucester called Doughty. It's quite a well-known firm. Um, they're now owned by GE, a much larger American firm. Um, mm-hmm. I was originally employed as someone to put in NT4. That's how long ago it was. So I ripped out an old NetWare network, not that I'm sure any of your uh, (laughs) listeners have ever seen anything that old, to put in (laughs) NT4. Um, And I was also tasked with looking after their ERP platform. Right. And so, uh, b- before we carry on, what can you? What is an ERP? Just to ERP, clarify. so Enterprise Resource Planning. Uh, think SAP, um, uh-huh. systems like that. They had a very small one called Fourth Shift that I don't think is in existence anymore. Oh, uh, right. So it's essentially the business system. It, it, it does all their invoicing. It does all the purchase orders, all the boring stuff, really. <laughs> um so I, eventually I started to, I was sent on courses to learn the DB platform on that. At this point, it wasn't SQL Server. So what they needed was someone to essentially extract flat files from the system. Uh-huh. Um, and back then, the cheapest way to do it was extract, extract the flat files, put them into access, put a bit of a front end on it and present the data as as was needed. You know, I, it, so- it was Sorry, so these, the, the, these, these flat files, uh, were they like CSV files, text files? What, what were they? CSV. CSV. Nothing flash. <laughs> Basic ASCII CSV. Cool, cool. So you did, you did the flat files and then you moved on to um, the SQL Server stuff, yeah? So we, 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 again, what, as this is, we're going back oh, 20 years nearly. So it, it, was, it was just you, I, you learn very quickly that mm. access doesn't scale as soon as you've got more than one or two people on your access database it just doesn't play ball so we very quickly realized that we needed to scale up hence sql server Mm. and that's as my how my life started as as a dba we um outgrew access really quickly and needed sql server as a platform wow okay so i mean how long how long has were you doing that for i did that for doubt is for a i was actually a dba for them for about two or three years then um i moved on then i took my first role as a true dba in a, into the net in my next into my next role i see okay so what was the difference between the true dba and the next role that was a, a dba from the dba that you became in deltas um, not a lot really in fact it was it was it seemed to be um a step up role but it wasn't really. I, I ended up doing more of the same sort of sysadmin work. It wasn't until I really left um, that company and moved on to what was Message Labs and became Symantec mm. that I was a, became what I would consider a true DBA. Okay. And from there, I started life in QA, 
running their labs, ensuring oh, wow. that um, they had data to play with. So again, that was setting up SQL Server, stripping down their production system, creating test systems from that, mm. and, and and doing that. That was good fun. And wow. that's where um, I learned replication. I never, so say, yeah, I never knew you were in you did you st- you were in QA. That's uh, oh yeah, I, I spent a lot. I spent oh. five, maybe six years in QA. Right. Wow. So I learned to test, and, and yeah, obviously out of that, they, I learned to yeah. test. Um, I, I think I've even passed ISEB at one point. What's that? That is, I can't remember what ISEB stands for, but it's the qualification uh-huh. to say that you're an, a qualified tester. Right. Gosh, I never knew that existed. Uh, wow. Okay. So, um, I mean, we'll talk about qualifications and certifications yeah, we'll come in, 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 a, in a second. Um, so... A bit of a difficult question, I think. This a bit open. I mean, what was it that you? What was it that led you down that road in the first place to become a DBA? What was the thing that was attractive as a DBA? I enjoyed technology. I very much enjoyed working with SQL Server. It is an excellent product, right? Um, and again, I appreciate now that um, in the open source world, Postgres has caught up. Mm-hmm. But at this mm-hmm. point, with when you you needed to buy a boxed product, mm. Oracle was just too too far too expensive. You just just couldn't justify the cost. Yeah, and SQL Server, it it was stable. It was cheap. It ran. It had the tools, mm. and I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I um enjoyed mm. the analysis part. I think that's what I enjoyed about QA the most was mm. um some code had gone out. Mm. I'd be given a stored proc that wasn't working properly and I had to unpick the SQL to work out why it was broken. I, I see. really enjoy that. Finding and fixing problems in data. Indeed. Nice. And again, data manipulation. We've got yep. you know some weird data issue, you know what it's like some really odd data's been inserted into the database. Yep. It makes the uh, front end really unhappy mm-hmm. and you have to work out why. Right. I still enjoy that now. I, I even, again, fast forwarding on to being essentially a, a scrum master, agile delivery lead, I still yeah. get my hands dirty in data issues from time to time, just because it's fun. Yeah. I mean, that's, that must, I mean, we'll talk about that uh, later on, but I mean, that must really help you uh, knowing, having that behind you, that sort of technical know-how behind you, you, you I guess you get to understand the problems um, in, in, in a more granular fashion because you've had that experience. Um, it really helps to translate. It really does. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So, so what in this, in this career journey, what, what are the, the qualifications that you, that you got from DBA? None. None. In all honesty, none. It's all on, on the job work. I have, I have been on numerous Microsoft course Hmm. courses over the years, but I never took it's MS. I can't remember, it's MSD, oh, I can't remember what it was. It's one MSDBA type one. It, I, the, the company wouldn't pay for the, pay for it, in, mm. in all honesty. Mm. And to be fair, with the amount of on-the-job training I had, it, it was fine. You, you can become, you know, I ended up becoming a senior DBA in the end. Right. Um, right. Once you've got the practical experience, it's, I, I just think the, the qualifications are irrelevant. I've, I've again, interviewed over, many people over the years, and I would much prefer to have a good in-depth technical conversation Definitely. and work out what their skills are than rather someone give me three or four pieces of paper saying I'm, I'm this skilled. I definitely agree with that, definitely. And I, you mentioned something that I just want to pull apart just for a minute. You said you became a senior DBA. Now, so I, when I, what is that? My, what is that? That's that's the go-to person. That that's the, that's again the person that gets called at three o'clock in the morning when everything's gone down. Uh. So my career, carrying on my career journey a little mm. bit, whilst uh, I then left, still this is still Symantec. Yeah. Um, so eventually, some people moved around the business mm-hmm. who knew me very very well and said please come and work in production for mm. a while. I love my job in QA too much. I like, no, 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 I'm fine. And in the end they twisted, they, they crossed my palm with silver. <laughs> and uh, so I decided to make the move across to production as, as you do when you're the, these things happen. Mm. And that's essentially when I inherited the title senior because you have to be in that position. And essentially for the UK business day, I was in charge of probably 500 SQL servers around the globe. Oh my word. I mean, that just my blows job. my mind. I, I'm, wow. <laughs> it was a lot. We were, um, at wow. one point, um, Microsoft came into what was Message Labs at the time mm. and looked at uh, our SQL Server installation with replication and said, 
this is the biggest we've ever seen. Oh my gosh. This is bigger, uh, bigger than anything we had in the labs. That would have been um, early 2000s, maybe mid 2000s. That's, we were the biggest in the business. That's insane. That's insane. And, and you were looking after those. I mean, yep. my brain would just explode. I wouldn't know what to do. Well, I don't know what to do. I'm not a DBA. I've never, I've, I've obviously worked with, with, uh, SQL, although I use, uh, my SQL, um, cough, cough, <laughs> but, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> we, <laughs> we've had, we we've had many a conversation, uh, pro- <laughs> about that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I just wouldn't know where to start because you've, you've touched on replication there. So does that mean that you're, you're dealing with a lot of redundancies and things like that? No, it really doesn't. Okay. So essentially what it was, was we had a centralized database platform uh-huh. that would replicate any customer updated data around the globe. So okay. imagine you're a customer and you wanted to update your domain or add some domains to your email scanning platform. Yeah, yeah. That would then replicate around the globe to our, all our other data centers so that those records were available to say, okay, this company has now got this domain. Mm. Please scan their email. Wow. It was more, you, you just need to have a really, really good monitoring system. Yeah. And most of the time, SQL Server doesn't fall over. It, you know, it gets a, such a bad rep, but it doesn't. It just sits there and runs most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, give it that, memory, that, give it disk. That's, that's such an interesting journey from building text files, essentially, to looking after huge amounts of data multi, over it. Multi-terabyte it was. Multi- I, think our, I think our data warehouse was a, probably around five or six terabytes at this point. And again, this was this some was, years ago. That's, yeah. that's average now. Yeah. And our main configuration database was about 80 or 90 gigabytes from memory. But again, we're going back now yeah. 10 years, maybe more. Again, this is when that was big. Now it's like, yeah, a small fry. That's insane, though. That's, uh, yeah. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. And were you being called late at night and stuff like that when so things... So, again, they're, they're, you would go on an on-call rotor. Right. Um, right. And, you know, if you were the on-call DBA, you, you'd be called. And it, it, most of the time, it was fine. The only time it was really difficult is if you got, like, a 3 a.m. call in the middle mm. of summer. You, you, you get up, you, you're groggy, you got to think, oh, right, what's broken? <laughs> Work out what's broken. But by the time you've sort of fixed it, you're probably an hour and a half later, and it's bright daylight in, on a summer's morning. You just don't get back to sleep. And if it's, you know, it's, of a weekend, it's like, yeah, that's your weekend ruined. But of, on a weeknight, you're then back at work for 9 a.m., and you've not had a proper night's sleep. It, it, it does affect you on call, yeah. the 24-7 on call. Yeah. Can, can you, can you um, sort of talk about, like, a loosely a, a typical problem that you, you would face? Typical problem. Um, generally, it was where something like replication could go out of sync. So you would need to make sure that um, with SQL, this is specifically SQL Server replication. So what mm. can happen is certain data, mm. it, 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 we're talking latency here. So if there's mm. been a massive data, let's say someone's done a mass update and we've got probably half a million records to replicate. That would be fine to EMEA type data centers. So we, we were, our, our main data centers were pretty much London based, you know, working out in the UK. Mm. Uh, replicating that sort of data to EMEA, fine. Replicating that data to the US, pretty much fine. But as soon as you look at Asia Pack, mm. their latency and the amount of data to transit that far, and we're, we're talking Australia, so we're talking Asia, we're talking Hong Kong, and we're mainly talking Australia here. It would just take a long, long time for that data to actually get committed at the far end. So, so you'd have to go through, and you just have to, to massage it, and maybe you, you, you could adjust your, your data throughput settings, and you just need to make sure that it had replicated fine. That that was that was generally yeah. The it's sort of it, massaging. I mean, it sounds super stressful, but I can tell from the way you're talking about it, you were really enjoying it. Oh, it was a brilliant job. Absolutely brilliant job. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I mean, I I didn't even know those. I mean, I knew those roles existed, but I didn't even know how to, you know, where to start. But I guess, you know, starting from text files, moving on to SQL servers, and then it's just a case of scaling that up, right? And then becoming, going up the chain and... yeah, you, you become confident. You, yeah. you, you know, I've had some great people train me uh, over the years. I've had some exceptional teachers. There was um, one person now who's 
sadly uh, died of cancer. And a chap called Mike Downs, and oh, the guy was phenomenal. Right. He worked with the SQL Server since the first version on NT351. He knew everything. Wow. He even found defects in um, system store procedures and sent them off to Microsoft. The guy was a legend. <laughs> so yeah, I have some great teachers, and then wow. you just learn from the best, and then you you become the best. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, the. the the next sort of um, section, I suppose, we we should move into is is the uh, the agile stuff, which is completely a different territory, right? Yeah. Well, why would you want to leave? I mean, when, when you've yeah. mastered your, why would you change? When you're yeah, I, when you're at the top, why would you go somewhere else? What 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 was the thing that moved you into that other direction? I grew. I've done it all. Once you've worked at the very, very top, I wanted a new challenge. I wanted something else to do. Right. You know, even whilst I was still at Symantec, I was doing a lot of ITIL stuff. There, there was lots of additional work I was doing because I knew the systems backwards. You know, mm -hmm. people much more junior than me could come to me and say, what's the problem? And I could just say, it's this okay. or it's that. You know, mm -hmm. once you've reached that level, it's like, right, what else can I do? So hence the agile bit. So um, obviously I got made redundant from Symantec. I took on a company with uh, a very, very large American healthcare supplier, the fifth biggest in the world. Um, they needed a production DBA with, that could be completely self-reliant, work from home model. Uh, that was five years ago. Um, and then likewise, I went in there, I made lots of changes, uh, putting cluster in to make sure that their SQL servers were stable, mm. going from, you know, just, just going in and, and tidying things up and making sure the SQL servers are being kept up to date, you know, all proper disaster recovery stuff. So I went in and did all of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But whilst, um, I was going, I, I started to get involved in PI planning events, so where people, this is, we're talking scaled agile framework type work here. So mm -hmm. I was going on these huge two day events where people were discussing agile and it, it was before I saw what actually agile could do. I would only ever really been involved in projects where they were done in MS project. They were all waterfall. Some of the project managers were, let's say, iffy at best. And you, you know, you know, it's like you, you work on these projects, and it's like, yeah, you, you sort of write your own project plan yourself, thinking, yeah, you'd like me to do this, but I'm actually going to do it like that, and you deliver it anyway. And 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 and, and I saw, so I thought, right, when I started to see Azure, this actually works. So so you go in. And you see these people discussing the work that needs to be done. You, you and at this point we were working on a MVP, a minimum, a minimum viable product. Minimal product. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So back in the old days, you would have called this a beta. Where these days, the marketing people have twisted it, and you've now got a minimal viable product. So we can go off, we can sell it, but it's not got any bells and whistles yet. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, you know. So I thought this was really, really interesting, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm learning this. And this, uh, within the organization, hmm. everyone needed to start. They, they needed certain people to go in and focus and say, we need to go in and change your department from the current ad hoc chaotic hmm. uh, methods where people throw work at you left, right, and center. You're getting work at you from email. You're getting work at you from your ticketing systems, um, water cooler chats where people just say, can you do this for me? And it was it was your typical chaotic IT environment that we've all, you know, all we've, of us IT professionals have worked. We've in. all experienced we it. Like. Yeah. Yeah we, yeah. we all know what it's like. Yeah. So I think that the big goal of the role that I took on was I became the, the, the title was agile delivery lead. So I went in as a senior person to go in and like, right, lead this, transform it. But essentially I was performing the role of a scrum master and a little bit of a product owner. We'll, we'll break those down and explain them in a bit. So yeah, yeah. I went in, um, I learned a tool called Rally, which um, is like Jira. They're okay. all very much of a muchness. Once you've got experience in one, they're all very, very similar. I can, I can use both. Cool. Um, so... I was seeing, like I said, I was seeing these events where the product owners were going in, they, they, they were creating the features, they were creating the user stories, mm -hmm. the, the teams would break out and the, the technical people would task it all out, they, they'd set their estimates. And I just thought, I'd like to do this. I'd like a change. Okay. And I just enjoyed it. I, I, I think I, again, just to sum up, I think I just grew tired mm of having very poor project managers manage products when I know I could do it better. 
but well, we, we can do this better and this solution seems to be work much better because I'm not a, I'm a servant leader when I help my teams now mm-hmm. I'm there to protect the, the guys like us, the technical guys, from the people that want you to do all the work now and pull you left, right, and center. I'm there to say, no, we are committed to our work this sprint. Mm-hmm. Um, it is possible that we can alter the work this sprint, but you're not going to get the products delivered that you like them to have delivered. I, I enjoy that function. Excellent. I'm there to help you. So uh, it sounds as though you, you, you discovered, if by accident, I guess, a another challenge another problem and yeah. you found the solution and, yeah, uh, and you yeah. went for that. That's really, yeah. really, that's really good. I, 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 I applaud people who change directions, um, and adapt and, and move and evolve. That's really, really cool. Um, you, you said a couple of things in there that I, I wouldn't mind pulling apart, but first up, can I just go back to the DBA just a minute and just ask whether or not you would go back to being a DBA? Would I go back to being a DBA? Uh, as ever, I think the, the magic question is the money's right, of course. Um, but uh, yes, I, I, I wouldn't. I would never say never. Mm. But at the moment, at this stage in my career, I, I think my next. I'd like to go in a few, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to go into a few more organizations and perform the agile transformations mm. and help those people be more efficient. Just how I've seen and helped fellow techies to just make their lives easier well, i'd like to do that some more well this is um this is a unique position that you have it's the fact that you've become you've been a dba at the top of the game and you're now an agile delivery lead and i i don't know anybody else who's done that um Thank so you. i mean that's that's a, a very sought after talent i would imagine um let, let's just pedal back a bit um because for the for the viewers of how to code well let's let's talk about Agile in its in a nutshell, yeah, as in w- what is waterfall? Waterfall. Now, again, most people have worked on projects where the project manager has got their key milestones in MS project, and you go from delivery to delivery to delivery to delivery, and essentially the project manager is running the show. They're shouting at you, telling you what you've got to do and when it's got to be delivered by, mm. and and that's it. That, that's waterfall in 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 a nutshell it's mm. it's what all prince two practitioners practice um it's what is now considered well by anyone in agile um old school delivery management or project man- delivery management it's it's you know legacy so what is the uh what is the opposite then if i mean if 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 that was if that if waterfall is the old what what does agile solve agile allows the developer or not it doesn't have to be developer the technical person because you don't it doesn't just work for devs it works Mm. for infrastructure people as well it allows them greater clarity of um the work that's that they've got in front of them and what work they've got in the backlog it gives them more visibility of their workload okay okay so as in like they can see the tasks that they're working on now and the tasks that are coming up in the future pretty much and yeah, well, I think we'll tease that out when we talk about user stories a little bit more. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I mean, I've I, I have to confess my um, my lack of knowledge in terms of this because I mean, I've, oh, as a, as a freelancer, I work on many projects that are done in many different ways, and some are called agile, and I'm not too sure whether they are. <laughs> And some are definitely not. I think they're agile and I don't think they've quite made it yet. Again, every company goes through an agile journey. You cannot become agile overnight. I think on average, it takes a year to 18 months to be fully agile. And you'd expect to start to see your um, improvements in about about six months. Wow. To do a full transformation takes time. But we're talking at a a large sort of company organization. You could take a small scrum team of say five or six development, five, six developers. Yeah. You could go, you could go like Kanban and we'll, we'll talk on these terms in a bit more. Yeah, you yeah. could take the, that team in a, in a few months. I, I, I think there's going to be a people, couple of people um, sort of shouting at, at us asking whether or not we need to use agile for startups. Cause I know that there's a lot of startups who listen. So if you were, cause you said five, six devs, I know people who who only have one or two. I, I, in that case, I think would they definitely need agile? No, maybe not. 
but a Kanban board isn't, is going to help you all the way. You don't need any flash tools. A Kanban mm-hmm. board you can do with post-it notes or you can do it on a whiteboard. As all you, I think the, the, the takeaway I would give to someone as small as them mm-hmm. is as long as you've got your work documented somewhere, a ba- mm-hmm. again, a basic board is Kanban. Then you know I've got th- this work to do. It's going to take this amount of time and these people are working on it. It's just visibility. And, so, and Kanban, can you just define that? As is it, that is it like a, a things to do list and like a, a done section? <laughs> pretty much. So a, a basic Kanban board, you would have visibility of your work that's coming in. So these are the the the, the tasks that I've got to code. These are the things I've got to fix, mm. and then. The, someone will have ordered the list. So you've got to do and in your to do, it's like, I've got these things to do. And generally the one at the top is the next one you take off the list because it's the highest priority. Mm-hmm. Then the next section on the board you'd have is in progress. This is the stuff that people are working on. Then you've got done. But again, we probably need to touch on definition of done. Um, yeah. <laughs> you've got, and then you've got accepted. So accepted is it's been through QA, it's released and there are no defects and everybody in the business is happy. It's out in production with no issues whatsoever. Right. Okay. So it, it basically maps out the journey of the of the dev work, essentially. Correct. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so again, I, this is going to highlight my uh, naivety here. Scrum master. What is a scrum master? A scrum master is the person that takes care of the, in this case, the developers. Uh-huh. So my function in that regard is I'm there as their servant leader, to use the agile terms. I'm there to okay. ensure that they are doing the work to the best of their ability and nobody is distracting them or disturbing them. And when they get a blocker, let's say the piece of work's blocked, you, you know, you're waiting for a piece of code from someone else. They've mm. not yet um, put it up to Git for you. Mm. So you would have to block that and say, and this person's not committed it yet. I can't do anything tools down we don't want peak tools down so i would then get on the phone chase however that person right pete's waiting for this piece of code he's now blocked on his deliverable what's going on i'm there to serve you to make you efficient so it's not necessarily a project owner right it's 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 project owner is a different function we should probably talk about that next yeah yeah so so what what would you define a project owner as a project owner, so generally, let, let's say we're working for a company and they want some funky new features on their website. Uh-huh. So they come in and the product owner's like, right, we want to do this. It's going to make us millions. <laughs> so they'll say, right, great. They'll, they'll, they'll devise a feature and work with the Scrum Master to get the, that feature with enough user stories in it so that they, they can, this thing can be built. Right. The okay. product owner liaises with the customers because the customers like, yeah, we want this whizzy feature and we want to develop it now. And then it's more for the, the, the scrum master then to liaise with the product owner to say, yeah, you can have this uh, feature. Yeah. You can have it delivered in probably three or four sprints. Yeah. And again, a sprint is generally a two-week time box, two weeks of time. Mm-hmm. And then we would ensure that it would be delivered. And we, the Scrum Master would work with the developers to make sure that the user stories that they've been given are tasked out in exactly the way that that developer is happy to do the piece of work. That's what we would generally term the definition of ready. So okay. you, you've been given a piece of work, so yeah. that's, that's the user story, yeah. and you would have an estimate um, of how long that user story it would take to take. But when you come to task it out, it's possible that when you actually put the hours against the actual user story, it can increase. That's that's the difference between actual task in hours and user story points, which is, it's a it's, user story points is a hard concept. Yeah. Most people understand. I mean, I, I've worked in a place where it was kind of, to the people who knew what they were doing, it made sense. But to me, it was arbitrary numbers. The higher the it number, is. the more complex the task. Um, so uh, essentially, the, the, the user story points is a Fibonacci number for people to think, yeah, this user story is going to be difficult, easy, small, large. I, I prefer to think in T-shirt sizes. It makes everyone easy, everything easy. So uh, if a user story has yeah. got one, one point, it's uh-huh. extra small. If it's got... Um, eight. Oh, I always forget the Fibonacci. Is it nine? Oh, I forget. It's a uh, larger one. I'm, I'm showing off. I can never remember. It's the too late in the day. To- <laughs> yeah, 
but the, the, the higher the numbers, um, the more complex it is, and that's yeah. when you get to XXL. So think in T-shirts. And again, that's, that's the function of the Scrum Master, to help their team to say, okay, we've got to work out your capacity and you do your planning, uh-huh. and that's for me to help you do. And I, I sent you a spreadsheet, and I'm more than happy for the guys to see that, of just to make it how easy it is. It, it just made everyone's life easier because cool. nobody can think in Fibonacci numbers. No. <laughs> Oh gosh, no. Um, okay, so so you're you're te- technically an agile delivery lead. So th- is this different from a scrum master? I think a little bit because the function that I did. So I was acting as the product owner for an infrastructure team. So these are the, the techie guys looking after the servers, looking after the networking. Mm, mm. Um, and within the company that I was in, I was the first person to actually take an infrastructure techie team, mm. Agile. Otherwise, it was always just developers. Mm. Okay. So I worked with the guys and we did the transformation. Okay. Um, so as I was acting as the product owner, so imagine they're doing a data center move, they're doing uh, a Linux upgrade, a point upgrade, mm. a Windows upgrade, some patching. That would then be added to... We'd, use, we'd add a feature, add user stories to it, mm-hmm. and I would act as the product owner, working out which ones were, you know, with the senior management, working out which bits to do first. You know, this feature is more important than this one. If we don't upgrade this, we're, you know, liable to be hacked, you know, all, all the usual joys of operations. Yeah, so like a critical path analysis to, to work out yeah. what needs to happen first and, and all of that stuff. Cool. Yeah. Okay, that sounds super interesting. I mean, that's... Uh, when I, when I, in my naivety, when I became a developer, I just didn't, didn't have a clue what any of this was. It was just I, I just wanted to write code. Um, but it, the more complex the systems and the larger scale the enterprise you're working for, you know, you obviously need to have these um, the, these kind of uh, gatekeepers. I guess is that the right term? Well, gatekeepers? Yeah, no, it, it's fine. I think it, it goes back to something we were discussing before when you know you were going to ask. Why, why be a DBA over a programmer? And yeah. I'm going to take that to, to why am I not a programmer? I never enjoy coding. Yes, I can write some epic SQL, and I can script in Bash, and well, I'm not so good with PowerShell. Going back, I wrote some epic batch files. You know, Excellent. I can script, and I can write code. I can follow code, yeah. but I'd much rather be in operations. I'd much rather, you know, liaise with my developers. Uh, again, being, going back to being a DBA, yeah. Yeah, I hate you've got a very, very close, close relationship with your DB developer. It's like the, the, the two sides of the coin. Yeah. You've got the guy that runs yeah. it in production and the guy that's written it, yeah. you know, w- w- when you start seeing issues like, yeah, this isn't scaling, you need to do it like this, or it's, I just more enjoyed, always enjoyed the operational side more. And in terms of the, the DBA stuff, right? I mean, what are the advantages of being a D- of having that background as a DBA and now being an agile delivery lead, what, what, what is the things that you can bring to the table that other agile delivery leads can't? It's the technical aspect. You know, I can completely understand what the techie guys are telling me. You know, th- th- there's there's no chance of pulling the wool over my eyes either. Um, <laughs> it's it, it's it, it, it. I think what the guys love is they can speak in full on IT tech. Doesn't matter which discipline: networking, Linux, Windows, mm-hmm. coding. I might not understand it all, but I can say, "Hang on a minute." Don't not following that. They can break it down for me, and then I'm off. You know, yeah. it's having that expertise to talk techie. With the flip side, then is the techie guys have explained to me the issues or blockers or what what's going well in again technical language, and then I can translate that to the senior senior leadership team. I can speak to the directors, the CTOs, all of the, the other people, the the, the, the people that generally developers don't like talking to so i mean yeah i mean that that in itself is a very important skill to have to be able to talk technical to technical people and then to talk technical to non-technical people in a way that humanizes and translates the issues Um, very hard not many people can do it I'm, i'm glad that i've over my career that it's something that i've been very good at excellent Oh, that, that, I mean that that's really cool. I, I like the fact that you're that you've gone through this this journey, and you've been able to bring all the all the cards with you. I mean, I, I that's something I really take my hat off to you. It's it's um, the fact that you're 
you, you found various different issues um, and you've started from text files <laughs> and now you've, and then you've gone all the way up to building humongous servers, you know, database servers and looking after those to looking after teams. And I guess because you know the technical side of it, you're able to then determine and sort of preempt issues that go forward. Is that would, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. You, 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 it, it helps. Yeah, you, you can judge the morale of your team. That, mm. That's very important. So you, you've got that aspect. You've also you've got yeah, I, yeah. I'll, I'll just leave it there. Yeah, I think that's that's, that's fair. <laughs> so, I mean, what 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 can people do uh, to make their delivery process easier and less stressful? It depends. Again, it depends on the size. Yeah. You know, it, if we're talking a small operation without QA, yeah. Um, then obviously your unit testing is key, making sure that your code is doing what it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the co- there's, you know, I'm speaking to developers now. Some of these tools now that auto scan your code, looking for um, known common flaws for for um, is it buffer overflow? Buff- mm-hmm. Buffer overflow. Yeah. Yeah, all yeah. Of the, there's so many cool automated tools now that mm. that just didn't exist ten years ago. That use those, um, make the most of your QA. Don't be scared of your QA. If they find um, a defect in your code, that's them just doing their job. Never be angry with them. No. I'm just you know I I find a few developers over the years that would be miffed when right. I found issues. It's like no 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 no, it's fine. I'm just doing my job, and I think again operationally yeah. the worst time to find a defect is at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I find them at three o'clock in the morning. I'd much rather some tester or a, a, a developer was savvy enough to just do some proper code analysis and try and be as bug free as possible. But obviously hundred percent bug free is impossible. There's always going to be issues. Oh yeah. Yeah. I keep saying that with code coverage, you know, even if your code coverage is a hundred percent, doesn't mean that you can't. you, you yeah. <laughs> doesn't mean it's 100% bug free the users yeah, are going to be using the system in a way that you never even thought of <laughs> and they will that, that's the thing a user will do something that you never envisaged was possible and you can go that's when it'll go pop at 3 a.m yeah 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 now something that we haven't touched on um is that is the fact that you've done a lot of this remotely um how has that been so during covid it's been exceptional so obviously <laughs> i've gained the experience over the years, um, it's really useful to have gained the experience beforehand so that when you're working with teams that aren't used to being remote, you can coach and advise of just like, I think rule number one, when, when I first started this, I was working out of the smallest bedroom in my house and I could lean and touch the walls. And after a year or two, like <laughs> um, I went stir crazy. And then, yeah, like you, you, like you Pete. And in the end, I've got, I'm in my office now. I had an extension put on the back of my house, custom built mm. to exactly how I wanted it. And it helps. So I think with the, for a developer, music on, head down, writing code all day, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It really, really doesn't matter whether you're on site or not. And, and we're talking a senior developer here. When mm. junior straight out of college, obviously you need to be working with someone a bit more senior to get them coached up. Yeah. You know, the, 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 I don't think a junior developer could work from home 100% of the time. I don't, with the percentage 70-30, maybe 50-50 after a while, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. I agree, I agree. You're, once you're senior enough, yeah. work from home fine. For me, and now I would take the agile stuff. Mm. As I work with very worked with very very senior uh, people, it was easy. We we did originally we did some stuff in London together face to face. But once you started the transformation and the guys know what they're doing, I can perform my sprint planning and all my ceremonies remotely. Is that the best? I would say probably not. So I think that the magic split is probably the, the 70-30. 70% of the stuff I can do remotely on Skype as we are now, Zoom, whatever your platform of choice. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the person there. You can share your screen. And, and screen sharing, you're probably more efficient than having the person sat next to you anyway because they're sat focused on it. Mm, yeah, definitely, so, definitely. But there's nothing beats 
the 30% in the office, you, you do lose the nonverbal communication. When someone's struggling and you can see their facial in, in expressions of like, I don't get this, you do lose that remotely. Yeah. And some stuff, it's just easier to sit around a table and have a chat, open a frat chat and look at everyone's body language. It's, so, it's also easier to hide, right? When, oh, you're, when you're remote, it's easier to just sort of hide and then think, oh, you know, it's easier than it actually is. Or um, it's easy to, over on the other side of it, it's easier to overcomplicate things because you, you end up sort of isolating yourself a, away from your team. Um, so... Uh, but on the other hand, I, I'm a remote dev myself and I've been for many, many years. You, you kind of, you, you have to learn to be aware of those kind of possibilities. And some things that have helped me, for instance, is to time box issues. You know, if I don't ha if I don't solve this issue in the next half an hour, then I'm going to ask someone. Yeah. And well, the, the, the whole magic thing there is it, it's hard. And I think we all do it is you're sat doing your utmost to solve a problem yeah. and you just can't do it yeah and i always say go make a cup of tea yeah. go for a walk do something else you've got to sometimes give your brain some downtime Definitely. and it does make such a difference Definitely. but we all fall into that trap yeah yeah we all do we all do i mean there, there, there's pros and cons it, it, remote working does seem like a luxury to those who aren't remote developers or or, or um or or, uh, or anything remote anything but um there are some negatives to remote dev as well, uh, some of which we've, we've mentioned too. Um, think, there's never a good one that mm -hmm. people's wellness is key. That's now, if true. you're in the office, you move around a lot. And yeah. I make one thing I do like to do during the day, whether it's lunchtime or after work, is go to the gym. Exercise is key. Your SIT people aren't the healthiest bunch generally. No. no. And we, do, we must, must spend time thinking about ourselves and our well-being. Yep. Definitely. I agree with that. That's definitely agree with that. Work from home. Yeah, definitely. Um, so a million dollar question here. So would you go back to an office full time? I don't think so now. I, I, I would have, you know, and I'm obviously in the market to trying to find a job. Um, mm. Would I want to be in the office 100%? No. It's, with COVID at the moment, there's no way you're going to be in the office 100% anyway. Mm. But I really feel that even if it's, work from home two days a week, the efficiencies gained of, of not having people come up to your desk and be disturbed where you can just get on with some things being left alone. I think the efficiencies are, mm. you know, you can't be undersold. Now, now you just uh, mentioned there that you're, you're in the market. So can I ask what, what would your ideal job be? I would like to maybe contract for a while, but I would also consider permanent. I'd like to go into some companies and help them on their agile journey to go in and say, right, what are you doing at the moment? Or if you're not doing at the moment, what would you like to do? How would you like to do this? You explore the methodologies, you know, mm -hmm. the easiest, easiest, as we discussed, you start with Kanban. Mm -hmm. You, it's, you just start there because you, you can just start. You've got to learn terminologies. You know, mm -hmm. every single field in IT has got its own jargon. You mm -hmm. just learn that. You start getting used to the terminologies and you adapt. Yeah. You know, eventually you can go to, you, you, you can take some of them. If you read the Agile sites, they all say you, you do Kanban, you can sprint, you, you, you can scrum, but you always seem to be so, end up somewhere in the middle with a bit of scrum ban. They, you get an amalgamation of the two. You pick and choose, but it takes, you know, that, that's like maybe a year, 18 months into your journey when you start to get a bit clever. Gotcha, gotcha. And for those who are listening who are interested in uh, getting in touch and hiring you, how, how do they, what, what's your contact details? Uh, LinkedIn, Pete, um, I'm sure you if you put my details on the bottom of the YouTube, that would be excellent. No worries. Feel we'll free do that. To, uh, if anyone wants to have a chat, feel free. If anyone would like to hire me at the moment, even better. Awesome. I'll put your links in the show notes below and also on the, wherever I'm pointing at the screen, thinking it's there somewhere down there. Um, <laughs> no worries. Um, so going back to just Scrum for a, for a minute, Scrum Masters, um, what advice do you have to um, to people who are thinking, mm, this is actually something that I'm, I'm interested in doing and exploring? Do you have any advice for, for those kind of people who are sort of interested in this in this role? Yeah, as ever to any developer, the internet's your friend. You know, the, the just 
have a Google, the, mm-hmm. the, the big sites you'll find very, very quickly. Read through their advice, because mm-hmm. I still read through their advice. It's, there's lots of good information. Um, sit on some seminars. Um, yeah. I'm a certified scrum master. The scrum training that I had was exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, it really helped give you an overview. But as ever with being dropped in at the deep end on a course, they give you all the jargon and the, and the, and the terms. You're like, well, how does that work in practice? Mm. So I, again, just think about yourself. Get a, get a pack of Post-it notes, write out your work that you want to do and stick it to the wall. Wow. Just start there and have a go just to organize yourself. Start at the big at the bottom and have a play. Excellent. Excellent advice. Uh, you, you mentioned there that you're a certified scrum master, right? How yep. did, how, how, I mean, what, what was involved with that in, in order to take that certification? And, and, so, and also, sorry, have you got uh, other certifications as well or, or qualifications in that area? Not anymore. I, um, nothing, or nothing of relevance. Uh, all my Microsoft qualifications long since gone i i remember you know it's all nt4 nt4 core <laughs> technologies um i did some vb6 um six, numerous sql server courses 2000 2005 2008 but it's all it's all irrelevant once once you're c- proliferant in your field once you know your field well you can just take the next version like yeah they changed yeah. this bit bit of googling and off you go yeah, yeah. and it's it's the same pretty much with the agile once once I'd done the course mm. and then had some, um, again, it's all in the coaching. I love doing the agile coaching now. I worked with some excellent agile coaches. I've got some excellent friends that are agile coaches. Mm-hmm. And once you've got that circle, the network, it's mm-hmm. always about the, the, the social network, the, the, the people that you can call on of like, right, I'm trying to do this. It's not quite going to plan how can you advise or what's the best practice? You start a best practice, you work with your team and say, okay, best practice says this. Mm-hmm. We know that's probably not, not going to work for us. Mm. So it goes back to the, the core bit of agile is your ceremonies. So you have your stand up, you have your, um, sorry, sit up. You, you have, um, your refinement sessions, you do your sprint planning, and mm-hmm. you have your retrospective. the The core part of the Scrum Master is, is, is ensuring that the ceremonies are upheld. And some people say, "Oh, they're not worth it," but I, I do think a, a maximum fifteen minute, and this should never be more than fifteen minute uh, Scrum call in the morning, where you have your little touch base. Everyone talks. Are you happy? Are you happy? Any blockers? Mm-hmm. And then everyone's off. Any blockers? It's then for the Scrum Master to talk to that guy or whoever it is, say, okay, right, what's your problem? We'll get it sorted, and off you go. The scrum calls it essential. Um, and I really think back, backlog refinement is as well. A lot of user stories where they're just thrown at developers, there you go, just go do it. It's like, well, that's not fair. They, they don't know what to do. It, you have to ensure that your definition of ready is there. So I love that. You, you, you said a word there. I want to pin that down. You said fair. So you, as someone, as, as a code monkey myself, fairness, uh, and, and getting tasks to do in a very small period of time. Um, yeah, it, it's, unfair. it's unfair. It is unfair. And I, I guess having the, the, the safety net of yourself to acknowledge the fairness that's really important and because you've been a technical person you know you've worked in dbas you you know the jargon you know the language you've walked the walk you've talked the talk before you know what is fair and unfair yeah and that's the that's the big change coming away from the waterfall model the waterfall model a project manager will come up to you and say mr developer Mm. please can you do this for me they don't know how long it's going to take they have no technical expertise knowing what it is Mm. you say well that's probably going to take me two three days i want it tomorrow we need it tomorrow yeah it's not fair you can't do it as in why did you ask me the estimate in the first place (laughs) yeah because it's irrelevant you you already had the time now, I'm not saying Agile stops that because we all know in production you get a severity one mm. incident, something's gone horrendously wrong, and it is. It's all hands to the pump to get it fixed. That yeah. doesn't change. Yeah. You know, you're still, there's still a risk of being pulled off from the work that you want to do to do, you know, production issues, other issues. Mm. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, I I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. It, you can't. It's not like um, a start, middle, and end. It's not like a book. It's you know you've got to you got to adapt and evolve with the with the day. Essentially, things happen, things move, things change, things break. Um, the users change and play with the system in ways that you've never even dreamt of. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Well, I mean this. It sounds like a, a fascinating journey that you've uh, you've gone through, and um, I'm I'm very intrigued and excited for uh, for your future um, in in agile. Uh, it sounds awesome. Well, I I, again, we've barely t- I thought we've barely touched on what things are, and we, we've not done the <laughs> jargon, and we've run out of time. So, uh. <laughs> well, I'm if you're willing, uh, I'm, we can we can certainly do another another podcast. I, I think and, we should probably do a deep dive a deep you know, dive you spoke about me yeah i think we should probably do an agile deep dive um again any of your viewers throw the questions in mm. you know i'm definitely field the questions yeah. always worthwhile um yeah. but yeah i think a deep dive is required because we've, we've we've just we've not we've skirted we've, around we've skirted it. around a few things we've had a chat we've had a chat well you know that's what it that's what it's it is isn't it? it's good, it's good. <laughs> So, Chris, there's there's a, a question that I ask um, all the all the guests when they they come on. Um, it's an end of show question, and that is if you could spend time learning something that isn't um, dot 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 in your case agile based, then what would it be and why? So this is something fascinating that uh-huh. I've got into recently, and it's megalithic architecture. So we're talking think pyramids. Think Nobody that said that before. <laughs> exactly. It's like. It, it's one of those crazy things. There are these humongous, great, multi-ton, con- well, not concrete, but stone blocks that were cut back in prehistory, thousands of years ago. I'm fascinated with how they did it. And we were told it was done with stone chisels. And when you start looking at the archaeology, you can see sort of looks like cuts with disc saws i'm i would probably go archaeology if i if, if i had my all time again with what i know now would i do it yeah i love it i'm in it because it's great mm. but i've recently become fascinated in ancient archaeology oh wow that's brilliant that's uh gosh what what what, what is it about a ancient archaeology that has that that intrigues you the most the engineering I'm the engineering at heart. i want to know how they did it how did you build that you did not do that with a stone tool and a crane how did you move that block over there that's 100 tons you know even if you look at stonehenge you know how did they drag those um pillars from wales to yeah. the salisbury plain you know yeah. like how why <laughs> I, I i it's it's still an engineer's heart Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you ever so much for uh, joining and coming on the show, Chris. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's thank a fascinating you. story. And let's do another one. Let's let's yeah. do a deep dive and go into some of these in a little bit more detail. But um, yeah, thank you ever so much for, for coming on. And thank you ever so much, everybody, for watching on the YouTubes and listening on the podcast. Happy coding, everybody. See you again next time. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Bye. Bye.